You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, thank you, Keith. I appreciate the encouragement. As I said, we'll find out what uh, easier means this time. But uh, it's awesome to be here this morning, to be uh, in front of all of you. I'm excited. I got my, my parents here today, so hopefully uh, I can make you proud in that respect. But no, it really is a, a treat to, to be able to teach this passage. I've been very fortunate in the passages I've gotten that they're fairly well set up to, to teach. So thank you, you know, Keith, for helping me out, teeing me up, so to speak. But I want to start by just diving right into our passage this morning. So if you will, please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So a couple things stood out to me initially as I was going through this, and this idea of, of taught by God, that's something that's, that's unique and it's special here. And there's actually a direct allusion to Old Testament uh, writing in Isaiah 54. Paul would have been a scholar of, uh, of the Old Testament. Uh, and discussing the future glory of Zion, Isaiah says, all your children will be taught by the Lord. So we know this isn't just something that is, you know, Paul's own ideas. This is something that comes directly from the Lord. And this is something that he's given us his spirit to instruct us as well. Another important aspect of this passage is the encouragement. As we've talked through this series, God's building up the ideal church. They're doing a lot of things well. And so he's encouraging him to, encouraging this church to continue to do these things more and more. And there are also transitions into then this period of instruction, which will be the building blocks uh, of, of God's church. And so as I was preparing for this, uh, God gave me the image of a, of a stone wall, a stone structure. And Luckily, this wasn't something that is, is unique to me, but as we're going through a series on blueprints and God's design and building a church, the idea of this stone wall seems very fitting. Even this morning, we sung about the cornerstone, Christ Jesus. And so I want to read from 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. And so it was fun as I was trying to figure out, okay, well, what does this stone wall look like? What is the appearance of this? I started watching some YouTube videos. We're lucky that we have access to uh, some good parts of the internet. Um, but this idea of this stone wall and what this construction act actually looked like really started to pull this image and this metaphor together. And so in one of these videos that I was watching, you needed a stonemason, somebody who was actually building this wall up. Uh, this person in the image that I'm going to present to you, God the Father, someone who is, is building up this church, building up this wall, shaping it. One of the cool things, because all these stones are very unique in different shapes and sizes, 
there were these ropes that were guiding the design of the wall. They helped to delineate the width, the height, the shape of what this wall was going to look like. And these ropes are God's design for us. Now again, these stones being very you know, unique in their shape and size, they didn't all just naturally fit into this design. They required the careful work of the stonemason to prepare them. Now some of this shaping was gentle, some light sanding, some rounding. Others of it wasn't so peaceful. Parts of it were very violent, so to speak. There was hammering, there was cleaving. I think of Keith sharing a couple weeks ago, amputation of corruption in God's design. But in order to fit into this wall, this specific place that the mason had for the stone, it required work. It required shaping for that purpose. And so that's a reminder to all of us that as stones, we are shaped for a purpose. Now, as you laid these stones one on top of another, you'll notice there's something in between. There's this mortar that keeps them together. And I submit to you this morning that the mortar we're going to discuss is the brotherly love. Now, if I were to personify these stones, and Peter talked about we are living stones, imagine if one of these stones really wanted to stand out, to be boisterous on their own, to be very loud. All of a sudden, it starts to push out in the wall. And there's a flaw in the structure and a failure because it's not holding things up anymore. Imagine also if one of these stones wanted to you know, kind of metal and push into one of the adjacent stones. Again, there's a flaw in the structure and a failure of the design. And almost more importantly than sticking out or nudging into one another, they're vacating the space that God had set for them. And so when there's an emptiness there, again, we've tried to step outside of God's design. And also, imagine if these stones were internally weak, if they weren't doing the work that they were set out to do. Again, they crumble there's a failure in the design. But lucky for us, Paul has given us instruction on how we can fulfill our role and our design as these living stones of Christ. So I want to turn to the, the blessing. And what I want you to think about today is that when we love as God designed, he is glorified inside and outside of his church. So if we're going to talk about loving as God designed, we have to figure out, what is love? I know for some of you out there, you're tempted to think of a 90s hit, maybe Night at the Roxbury. I'm not going to you know, do this for the next uh, 20 minutes. You uh, youngsters, I think I can say that now that I'm you know, in my 30s, may not understand that reference. But, uh, but no, that's, that's not what we're talking about when we figure out what is love. It's essential that we try and understand biblical love. It's littered throughout the Bible. It's everywhere. And if we don't understand what love means, there's a great proclivity and a temptation to deviate from God's design. The world's definition, I think, is very incomplete. It's ill-equipped to answer the questions that life poses. In recent years, uh, one of the definitions of love, love is love. I learned in elementary school, you don't define a word by using it you know, to de define it. It's incomplete. But again, God has given us his word to decide, to discern, excuse me, what love is. And so in this specific reference in our passage today, he talks about brotherly love. And we've talked before about different versions or different types of love in the Greek language. But here, there's an emphasis on brotherly love. And in this cultural context that Paul is writing to, family life is extremely important. 
The relationship between parents and children, the relationship between siblings. He's saying this isn't just you know, reserved for your family anymore, your blood family. This is something that I want you to apply that meaning and that relationship to the body of Christ, to my church, or to love one another as a family does. So what does God say? I want to run through just a few verses as far as uh, pertaining to love in the scriptures, and certainly there are more, but here's a few I want to highlight. 1 Corinthians is a good place to start. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Here's Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. I don't know what my parents in the back row think about that one. It's probably one that I needed more than my siblings did. But it's interesting how these different passages highlight different parts of God's love. And some of them are going to resonate more with us than others do. And it's something that, I don't think that that's a problem per se. God's gifted each one of us uniquely. We all have different spiritual gifts. We all have different personalities. Going back to that image of the stones, we all have different shapes it's a plug for the journey this afternoon, by the way, to talk about shape, to fit into that role. And so where some parts of love may come more naturally to me and others, you know, for you guys, it's something that that's a, there's a beauty in that. God has gifted us with unique temperaments and gifts in order to fulfill and understand his design and role. So again, members of one body, we are there to lift each other up in that and to understand I'm glad mom and, and my sister Olivia are here as well today because I was going to reference them in a story. Mom mentioned years ago uh, that Libby had shared with her, I have an older brother, Colby, uh, that she had shared with mom that if she wanted to feel built up and encouraged, she didn't go to me. She went to my brother. But if she wanted to hear more of the truth, she came to me. And so it's like, who was right? Well, both and, neither or. The point is that there are different giftings and that there are different seasons as we understand God's complex love where some of these things come more to the forefront and others uh, take a back seat. They're never gone, but there's a hierarchy that comes forth in that. And I've gotten to learn this a little bit more being a parent myself, that there are times when my children need kindness, they need patience, and there are other times where discipline is essential for them to grow in the way uh, that God has designed. And so this transitions naturally into the first building block that I want to discuss today. Love for one another should be increasing. Greg talked a few weeks ago about it's not just a, uh, a positional understanding of love, but it's a progression. And so if we're going to grow in love for one another, that requires us to understand what God's love is, the full spectrum of it. Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness 
that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The aspect of discerning what is best, we have to grow in that. There's a progression. It's not just that you know, we love one another more, but understand how to love one another more and more. It's so important that we learn to understand and appreciate the fullness and complexity of God's love, because that is the true definition of love. It's what we were made for, and we cannot live as God intended, stepping into who we were made to be, both individually and as a church, without it. And so it does require study. It requires diving into his word. It's not always easy. It's not always simple. Love isn't a monolithic term. There's so much to that. But we're called as Christians to progress and to grow in our understanding of what God's love really is. Block number two, do not be boisterous. Paul encourages us to live quietly. At this time, there were individuals in the church. Uh, Paul references in the second uh, book of Thessalonians, he calls them idlers. And there was a group that was certain that Christ's return was imminent. So therefore, they were proclaiming this. They weren't working anymore, kind of chilling out, waiting for him to show up. But this teaching was very dangerous, and it was causing a lot of concern and issue for the church at hand. It was detracting from the gospel. James 3 talks about a different kind of of wisdom and and warns about a, a certain kind that can be harmful. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. We have to work towards God's glory, not our own. And it's something that I feel like we run into a lot in our current culture where we're seeking our own, our own truth, our own desires, our own motives and ambitions. Our faith needs to inform our beliefs, not the other way around. It seems all too fitting on the eve of an election week how simple it is for all of us, myself especially, to say, this is what I believe. This is what must be right. And I'm only going to find the things that support what I want to believe. I dare not look at the entirety of, of Scripture, of God's Word, to inform my beliefs. And we have to be so careful. Again, our faith, God's Word, should inform our beliefs. It's not the other way around. Activism is, is good in certain senses, but the most important activism we should be worried about is evangelism. We talked a few months ago, I believe now, as we went through spiritual pathways. That was one of the, the sacred pathways was activism. And so that is a good thing, to fight for justice, to care about these things, but it must be aligned with who God is and what his desire is. And so again, there's, if we're going to be aligned with him, we have to know him. We have to know his word and his desire. We have to spend time engaging with that. Even when it's difficult and doesn't seem clear, we have to lean into that. Otherwise, we run the risk of having that activism misdirected. And that's not what we want. I think the word that best sums up what we ought to be, a positive aim that we should be seeking for is meekness. Well, how do we, how do we counter a boisterous nature, the temptation to, to seek selfish ambition? Meekness. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. 
Block number three, don't be meddlesome. Mind your own affairs. Now, there's a difference between genuine care and prying behavior. This isn't saying don't care about your neighbor, don't care about your, you know, your family, those in the church. It's not at all what's being said here. It's, it's talking about avoiding this meddlesome, prying behavior. How do we discern the difference? Well, first and foremost, you know, we've talked a little bit about brotherly love already. If we're understanding God's love, the full spectrum of it, are we applying that in our interactions to others? Here's some questions to ask yourself. Are you seeking entertainment? Are you seeking comparison? At least I'm not that. How about a smug satisfaction? Well, they got what was coming for them. Are you inserting yourself in a situation that doesn't concern you? That's meddlesome, prying behavior. Proverbs has some, some great wisdom. Proverbs 26, 17. Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Now, I have a dog at home. Bear's a sweet golden retriever. He's eight years old now. He really is a loving dog. But I've pushed Bear a few times. One I can think of brushing out mats before he was going to get groomed. I didn't want the, the groomer to think that we were... Uh, it's kind of like when people come to see me and they floss right before they come in. <laughs> Newsflash, we know, okay? But here I am trying to, you know, brush Bear's mats out, and he's baring his teeth. He's letting me know, I don't like that. This isn't good. Well, I pushed that one a little bit too far. But this, this metaphor in Proverbs of grabbing a passing dog by the ears, I can see those teeth, and they're big, and they're sharp. And so, all the more so, this dog that I own that loves me and I love him, if he's willing to bare his teeth, imagine me going to a passing dog, pulling it by the ears. That's not going to end well. It's not going to end well for me. It's not going to end well for the dog. It's not going to end well for the owner of the dog. And so, when we start to insert ourselves into things that don't concern us, this is what happens. It doesn't end well. It's not a pretty picture. Also in Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse person stirs up conflict and gossip separates close friends. How dangerous this becomes, especially within the church. God's given us a design for biblical peacemaking, but we have the temptation to kind of meddle over here. Did you hear about so-and-so? Can you believe this? It's like, no, go to a person. Like, we have a design. It's beautiful, and God's outlined that. And so it's something that we all have to look internally and reflect on, on how we're approaching biblical peacemaking. Are we supporting godly resolution when we encounter conflict? Or are we sowing dissension? And that's something that, it is, again, it's a good thing to listen, to be there, to be supportive. But again, our aim should be godly resolution, not a meddlesome, prying, smug satisfaction that tears things down. Block number four. Do not be idle. Work with your hands. Paul tells us here, again, going back to the idea of these, these idlers that may have been proclaiming this false testimony that Christ's return was imminent, therefore we're just going to take a back seat and relax. There were problems with that. As soon as they stop working, they need to be supported. And so this is a, he's calling out a laziness that is leading to exploitation. And so when God has gifted us with the ability to work, to serve, to build up, and we say, no thanks, I'm good, I'm going to coast, there's cost to that. And the cost is to the body of Christ. Paul has some pretty strong words for that in Ephesians 4, verse 28. 
Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So again, he's not just even saying, you know, it's not a good thing. It's stealing. When you have something to give, when God has created you to work, and you choose not to do that, and instead to take from those around you, that's stealing. The important finish of that verse, though, I need to repeat that again, that they may have something to share with those in need, that's it. That's the point of it. It's not to say that I'm self-sufficient, I got it all on my own, I've got it figured out, I'm good. No, the point is to be able to share with those in need. Anyone that's taken uh, Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey's course, one of the last things is live like no other so that you can give like no other. Again, the point isn't to puff ourselves up with pride that we've done this or I don't need that or this, I've got it all taken care of. There's a point, and that's to share and to give and to bless each other. We're looking for a codependency that builds up, not tears down. Again, thinking of the image of the wall, that's something that there's a foundation in Christ that we can build on top of, that builds something beautiful that honors God, not ourselves. Not that long ago, we went through Acts, and there's a beautiful picture in Acts 6 of people, servants within the church, being freed up to do God's work. At this point, there were Hebrew widows that were being neglected. Their needs were not being met. They came to the church. The disciples, knowing that their priority was preaching and teaching, they needed to figure out another way to meet these needs. And so others were appointed to serve and fulfill those needs. And the passage closes by referencing three things. The word of God increased, disciples multiplied, and a great many became obedient. That ought to be our goal. God's word increases, disciples are multiplied, and that we're obedient. But there was a need that needed to be met. Those were working within God's design to meet those needs. And again, God was glorified in the end. So that is, that is the image, that is the picture that we need to step into as we seek to fulfill God's role for us in the church. But this passage that we go through today uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4, it closes with a, a good old so that. And, and those are important words to see in, in the Bible and in Scripture because it really directs us to what the purpose is. It's one thing to have all these ideas, these recommendations, but it needs to have a purpose. It needs to have a meaning. What's the thrust behind that? So our first so that is so that we can be an example to non-believers. We started with, uh, with 1 Peter as far as the image of the wall, and I want to return to that as well. So 1 Peter 2, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are an example to others. We're called to be. We don't live in a vacuum. We don't live within these walls. We live in our neighborhoods, our communities, our workplaces. We have the opportunity to put on Christ as we interact with one another. And the way that we treat one another, especially within the church, it's going to tell others 
How special is that, Jesus? What kind, of, what kind of faith do they really have? If that is something that's honoring, that's sacrificial, that's truthful, that's patient, that's kind, that's enduring, that's something that attracts the outsider. There's something different about that person. There's something different about that church. There's something different about that Jesus. There's all different sources of, of truth, of worldviews. Everybody's selling something. And some of our best witness can be how we love one another. How we interact with each other on a day-to-day basis, that's something that needs to be worthy of respect and honor. You know, my, my father always told me growing up, you've been given a gift of a last name. And how you act doesn't just impact you, it impacts me, your mother, your siblings, your aunts and uncles, And those that came before you worked hard to try and make sure that your name is something that is associated with honor and respect. And so you have a responsibility to act and behave in a way that adds to that, not detracts from that. And more important even than the last name element is Jesus follower. And how I act has a lot of impact on that. And that's something that shouldn't just be met with dread and and despair, but It's an opportunity. We all will fall short at certain aspects. But Christ is there to pick us up again, to lead us forward. So again, I encourage you to see that as the opportunity that it is and not be discouraged by it, but carry the weight of that, knowing what that means. Christ talked about giving us his example as he's washing the disciples' feet in John 13. He is that example of that perfect and beautiful love after washing those feet, he says, I've given you an example now. Do this to each other. Later in John 13, verse 35, this is how you'll know, they'll know that you are mine, by how you love one another. And so again, I want to encourage us in how we interact with each other. That is going to be something that either points others towards Christ or points them away. And secondly, the other so that would be dependent on no one. And the point of this, again, is to be life-giving, not life-draining. A few weeks back, we were in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to read verses 9 through 10. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. I mean, you can imagine Paul preaching and teaching. And whenever he's got a free moment, he's not just reclining and and hanging out. He's working. He's a tent maker. And he's doing this because he doesn't want to be a burden on those. He's freely giving the good news, the gospel, that Jesus has come in flesh. He's died, but he's resurrected I don't want anything to detract from my message, he says. So I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to make sure that I'm not taking from you as I'm trying to give you this good news. It was interesting, too. uh, A few of the guys here, uh, we recently were reading through a book trying to appreciate Scripture through an Eastern perspective, not just through a Western one. And one of the things that was illuminating to me was a, a system and idea of patronage. And so... If Paul was, you know, taking things uh, along the way, receiving these blessings, 
There's kind of a reciprocity that was assumed in that culture. And Paul wants his only reciprocity to be with Christ. He's not desiring to be indebted to those along the way so that he owes them anything. But again, there's a freedom of giving. I belong to Christ. That's who I owe anything to. And so again, we look at this unnecessary dependence as we talked about earlier with the idlers, this laziness that led to exploitation. An unnecessary dependence, it drains the pool of resources. And I know that there's a risk in that sounding too, you know, systematic and cold and hard, but the truth is, is that, you know, God's blessed us all with resources to give. And if we're taking out of that instead of pouring into that on a constant base, that's depleting the work that can be done in and through the church. And that's not to say that there isn't a time or season to take. Last summer, I fell down the stairs. And I broke both of my ankles. It was a tough time, especially for my wife. There's three little kids running around. Dad's not very helpful. But it was so beautiful to have our life group show up, to be able to provide meals for us, to hang out with our kids. It was, it was such a blessing. And that was the season where we weren't, myself, my wife still was, wasn't able to pour in. We were drawing at that point. But it wouldn't have gone so well if a few weeks after that, once I had gotten back on my feet, you know, I'd call up, you know, the Holmans and say, hey, you know what? I need dinner tonight. I've got no reason for it, but I need that. And then maybe i call up the shell dolls and say, John, you know what? I could do these things. I could mow my lawn, but please help me out. I just don't want to do it. That doesn't work. That's not the way it was designed to go. And I hope none of you guys fall down the stairs and break both your ankles. But if that happens, I want to be there and I want our church family to be there to be able to step in and say, how can we serve you? How can we bless you? Because that was such a blessing for me. I'll never forget that. But we must return to this idea too that being independent was not a goal in itself. It was for the purpose of blessing others. And so that is something that we have to combat, myself especially, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's rugged individualism. There is great benefit in being self-sufficient so that you can bless others, but it's not a goal in itself because it leads to pride. We all know pride comes before the fall. So I leave you with some questions. How are you enhancing the lives of those around you? Steal a phrase from, heard from Keith many times, blessed to be a blessing. We've been given such great gifts, such great opportunities to serve those around us. How are we doing that? Are we living in God's design? Again, think of these ropes setting up the framework or where these stones are going to go. Are we trying to deviate from God's design, create our own way, develop our own path, are we living within the framework that he's given us? Are we filling the role that he gave us individually? Are we trying to be who we aren't? Are we trying to stick out and seek our own glory? Are we pushing into the space of those around us? And again, how are we blessing those around us? Because that's, that's the point of this all. It's again, not to uplift ourselves just to be the hands and feet of Christ as we engage with one another and outside of the church as well. And so we have a, an awesome opportunity. Uh, Keith, I'll invite you forward 
to talk about one of those ways to be a blessing. It's something that uh, our church has tried to partner with, with different local and, uh, and global resources along the way to engage our community, to bless those around us. And I'm going to step off here and uh, hand it over to Keith as, uh, as he is able to interview and unpack one of those new unique opportunities. I don't know if your audience uh, at the end of service will be a little bit easier than the kiddos this morning. I know I got three of them back there. Hopefully they were respectful for you. But, uh, but again, I just uh, I want to encourage us to think about how, that we, how we can be a blessing to those around us. Thanks, Keith.